Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Morning. How's everybody doing? Uh, it's so great to be here with you this morning, uh, Resurrection Sunday, and every every service we try to we pray and we bless every church in our community and every church in uh, in Kalamazoo County. Um, but I'm just so grateful that I get to be part of just the greatest church around. It's uh, so fun just to hang out with you guys and have breakfast together and and worship with you. I love that this is such a a child-friendly environment. I mean, that made such a difference for Amber and I when we had little people. It was just, it's so great. So yeah, if you're like, oh, maybe we should try, you know, I just, my point being, I'm dispelling any awkwardness by making it way more awkward. Good job, Mark. (laughs) Well done, real smooth. Okay, but let's move on. A couple of things. Uh, First off, I wanted to announce that on May 8th through 11th, we are the International Partners in Harvest Conference is happening in Toronto, Canada. And I've gone the last three years. It is an amazing time. And uh, Dan Slade and John Arnett and Carol Arnott, many of our leaders are are there to to do teachings. And the the worship is always really, really good. And I wanted to invite you guys. Last year, we had a great group of people from all three campuses uh, go up for, for that. And this year, something very exciting is happening. They've invited our very own Carrie Miller to bring a team and, and lead worship at the, at the International Conference. And so that is going to be a real hootenanny. So I'm very, very excited about that. And then, uh, I don't know why that's making that noise. Don't worry about that. So we are continuing. We are finishing our series on the journey to Easter. As, as a community, we have, over the last six weeks, walked towards Easter purposefully together. Uh, Each of the congregations, Nichols, Vine, and Vandalia, have all been doing the same sermons every Sunday and then having midweek small groups where we would get together and dive deeper into those uh, topics and those things. And we have heard so many amazing testimonies from that, from connections being built, people uh, just getting to know one another better, people uh, really being able to ponder some of the things that we often don't think about as we lead up to Easter. And so I just want to take a minute to, to thank the, the Yoders and the Wagners and the Freemans and the Hugheses for leading the charge uh, for that down here. You guys did an amazing job. Can we just give them a round of applause? Thank you guys so, so much. We could not have done it without you, and it was, was awesome. So thank you very much for that. And so today, we have arrived. Our journey to Easter has been successful. We are here, and today what I want to talk about is how Easter, how the resurrection, what we're celebrating today, is the foundation of our faith. And as you guys know, uh, a solid foundation is, is vital to, for something to be strong. You know, you know if, it's a, if it's a house, you have to build on a solid foundation. And at one time, I imagine that this house had a nice scenic overview and uh, it was really enjoyable, but the foundation is a little bit lacking. And so now that house fails for what it was built for. It's a bad foundation. 
And we also know that foundations are important for music. We've got to learn the fundamentals, right? We've got to learn our scales, and we've got to have good tone, and we need to understand music theory so we can play together. We need that foundation. Uh, we know... I don't know this, but what I've heard is in sports, you have to learn the, the fundamentals if you're going to be effective at whatever, whatever that sport is, if you want to play your best game. So we need a solid foundation. And a tree is an example of a good foundation. That, that house was failing, but this tree is solid because it has a strong root system. As the winds blow, as the storms come blasting against it, that tree is going to stand solid because its roots are deep and wide. And just like the foundation of this tree is is solid, the foundation of our faith is solid. The foundation of our faith being the resurrection of Jesus. And I just want to look at a couple ideas of what would it mean if there wasn't a resurrection. Is it that big of a deal? Without a resurrection, Jesus is just another martyr. Thousands and thousands of people were crucified along the the Roman roads. Many would-be messiahs or so uh, self-proclaimed messiahs would wander the, the countryside there and de- declaring, I am the one, I am the one that's coming. Everybody is waiting and looking forward to this messiah. For 400 years, it seems that everything has been silent and they're waiting. Is this him? Is this him? Is this him? And many of them popped up and many of them died. But Jesus is not just another martyr. He is the risen Savior. This is a pretty common saying. Without a resurrection, Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said he's either our Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. Either he is who he says he was, or he's a liar trying to pull a fast one over on people. Or maybe he really thinks he's the Son of God. Maybe he really thinks he is the Messiah, but he's crazy. And none of us want to bend our knee to a lunatic. Paul tells us that without a resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sins. And we know that there is no future celebration reuniting us with Christ in the Father's kingdom. This was a promise that Jesus made when he uh, instigated the, the Lord's Supper. He said, I'm not going to drink from this cup again until I drink it with you in the Father's kingdom. Well, if Jesus has not been raised, there is no future celebration for us. Without a resurrection, there is no apostolic foundation of our faith. That's fancy words. Basically, this means that if, the, if the, the, there was no resurrection, the disciples would have stayed hiding. They would have stayed scattered uh, across the, the Middle East there, hiding from the Jews. There would be no Bible. There would be no faith. Without a resurrection, there is no complete model of sacrificial living. Jesus called us, as we talked about last week, to lose ourselves, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. And if we do that, we will enter into abundant life, into the fullness of life. But if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then there is no first step. There is no hope that we too will raise to life. And so... The, the resurrection is not optional for us. 
The Apostle Paul says to, in his letter to the Corinthians, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The resurrection is not optional. Jesus can't just be a good moral example. He can't be just a good teacher that we're going to remember some of his sayings and try to put them into action in our lives. If he is not the resurrected Lord and Savior, then our faith is useless. And as Paul says, we are pitiable. But today's text in Matthew declares that there is a resurrection. And this section of Matthew was written by the author to really highlight and to to underline for those that this letter was written to that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive. And that is what we're going to look at today, looking from Matthew 27, verse 62, up until Matthew 28, 10. I think is where we're, we're going. I know is where we're going. But we don't start in such a happy place We start with Jesus being dead, where we left off on on Good Friday. The Jesus breathed his last after saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is finished. The centurion stationed there at the cross uh, jabbed a spear into his side and out comes blood and, and water. Jesus is dead. He's taken down from from the cross and Joseph of Arimathea comes and says, can I take his body and and bury it? And Pilate, who seems to have already kind of tried to wash his hands of this whole situation, says, do whatever you want. It's hopeless. Jesus is definitely dead. Matthew 27, 62, we pick up the story and it says, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. And so here we see that Jesus is dead. He is in the tomb. And the chief priests and the Pharisees want to make sure he stays there. They, in this section of Scripture, we see that they're trying to kind of tie up all the loose ends because they don't want to deal with Jesus and his disciples anymore. They have no expectation that he is going to rise again, because somehow they had heard that this guy claimed he's going to rise again on the third day. We're not exactly sure how that happened. Jesus told his disciples 
And as we've seen throughout the story, the disciples don't quite grasp that concept. And so maybe they shared with some of their friends, like, Jesus said he was going to raise on the third day. I don't know what that's all about. It seems crazy. They told some of their friends, and all of a sudden throughout the region, people are talking. Apparently, Jesus guy is saying that he's going to raise on the third day. And the chief priests and the Pharisees, they, they hear about this and they go, you know what? Let's just make sure that they don't come and, and steal the body. Because that would be a real pain in the neck. Things are going to get bad then. But we see that they really are overestimating the, the disciples. They, maybe they're thinking, these disciples, they seem courageous and put together. And they have a plan and a purpose. But actually they're hiding and scattered and terrified. They were certainly correct that if the tomb does become empty, they're going to have a a big problem on their hands. And so Pilate says, fine, take whatever you need. Take a guard, seal it up. And so they post Roman centurions at the tomb and they seal it with either like uh, with wax or clay and they put the Roman seal on it just to make sure nobody touches the tomb. Jesus is going to stay dead. And this scene, as we read through it and as we think about what is going on, is as hopeless as it can be. And one thing that we know for sure as we read through the text is that absolutely nobody is expecting a resurrection. Which is incredible. Jesus says this over and over again. But I understand that. I tell my kids things over and over again and they just (laughs) do not get it. They don't pay attention. Right? So... So nobody is expecting a resurrection. We see the the Jewish leaders, they aren't expecting a resurrection. They think maybe the disciples are going to come and and steal the body. We'll put the guards there. We'll seal the tomb. Nothing is going to happen. We'll make sure this is a done deal. As we look at the story here and in some of the other Gospels, uh, the Gospel of John tells us that the, the disciples haven't just scattered, but they're hiding. They're fearful for their lives that the people who put Jesus to death are going to track them down and kill them too. In their desperation, you know, what are they, I have no idea, what are they thinking? You know, are they like, well, you know, I can go back to fishing. You know, maybe we'll go out to, to Antioch or someplace. Just get out of town so that nobody can find us. We'll just go back to, to life as it was before. The disciples are not expecting a resurrection. And even the most faithful people we find in this story, the women, the women who were there at the foot of the cross watching Jesus crucified, the the women who followed Joseph of Arimathea to the tomb and watched Jesus put to rest, The, the, the women who come back to the garden in the next verse, these women are not expecting a resurrection. The next verse says they come to, to the tomb just to look at it. Another gospel says they came to, uh, to anoint his body, to, to complete the, the burial ritual of the, the Jewish people. The women, though they're there, are not expecting a resurrection. And often in our own lives, we can live like this too that we aren't expecting or aren't holding fast to this idea of resurrection. We feel hopeless. We feel 
empty. We feel let down by this whole Christianity thing. We feel disoriented because life is not going the way that it seems like it should. We might feel like the women who are faithful as much as they can be. They're showing up at the tomb where Jesus is. Maybe that's us. We show up to church, but we're not really expecting anything. We're just kind of going through the motions and Maybe being in the, in the building makes us feel a little bit closer, but there's no expectation of resurrection power. There's no expectation of hope in life. Or maybe some of us feel like the disciples. We've turned away. We've rejected Jesus. We have scattered. We have gone into hiding. We have, even if, even if it was true, even if there was a resurrection, we have distanced ourselves so far. We have done so much. Our sin is so heavy upon us that Jesus certainly isn't going to be able to forgive me, even if he is alive. But the good news is that this is not where the story ends. Because Jesus is alive. And in Matthew 28, the story continues. It says, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I love, I love this part of the story, just an aside, that the, 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 these women, they go to the tomb expecting to find a dead Jesus, but now Jesus is alive and these centurions, these people that, that are supposed to be guarding the tomb, they're the ones that are dead. It's this, I, I think Matthew is brilliant in that juxtaposition there. So anyway, good job, Matthew. Well done. So the guards are afraid. They shook and they fall down like dead men. Then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And so what would this scene have been like in the, the pre-dawn cool of the, the garden on that morning? The women are, you know, their feet crunching on the, the garden path on their way to the tomb where they'd seen Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus. They're probably in, in despair, talking, what are we going to do now? It looked like life was going to go this direction, but now it looks like this, and, and this is terrible. What is going on? And they go, and they, you know, they, they come into view of the, the tomb, and there are the centurions guarding it. And all of a sudden, right, there is an earthquake what, how could, you know, that's weird. There was an earthquake like three days ago when Jesus died. Um, maybe this is an aftershock, right? What is going on? And all of a sudden, there's a very bright guy sitting on top of the tomb and the, these Roman centurions, right? The, 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 the main soldiers, the, the SWAT team or whatever, the, the SEALs of the, of the, uh, of the, the, the Roman army are there guarding. And these centurions look up and they start shaking and faint, falling as if dead in front of the angel. And the, what are the women? The women don't faint to their, you know, that's great, good job. And they kind of maybe kind of slowly approach. And he says, don't be afraid. I got a picture. 
Don't be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And we, we could easily say that the angel is saying, I know you're looking for Jesus who was dead. Definitely dead. He's not here. But he has been risen, just as he said. You don't believe me? Come on in and look. And I try to picture, like, would, if I was there, would I have the angel sitting on the tomb kind of walked towards the angel to look in the tomb? Or would I have just said, I'll just take your word for it? Or kind of poke, yep, that looks good to me. It looks very, very empty. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Gabe. <laughs> good job. Um, but I, I, I don't know, but the, this, the emotions going on in their minds at that point is so crazy. They're on their way moments ago in despair, and now there's an angel saying, he has risen. Could this possibly be true? Could this possibly be true? And the angel says, go and tell my disciples. He's not here. And so they run. They turn and run back to Jerusalem. Talking, what is this? What's going on? Could this be true? And when they ask this, we really need to ask the same question. Could this be true? It seems like a pretty far-fetched story. Maybe a lot of us have, have heard this story our, our whole lives, but it seems pretty crazy. I've never seen a resurrection. But I think there are some pretty convincing truths here in the, in the biblical story. First, we see that there, it's women that are first to, to see and testify of Jesus. And the reason this is, is a big deal, because in that culture, women weren't trusted. They were second-class citizens at, at best. They weren't allowed to testify in court. They were, could not be trusted. You know how women are. <laughs> I'm just going to tell some stories. But in, 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 the, in, the, in the, the biblical account, it's women that are first the witnesses of Jesus, they are the first apostles. They are the first ones sent to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I think that's a big deal. If they were just making up this story, there's no way they would use women as the first witnesses. And not only that, the, the men, the, the disciples are in hiding, like we already said. They're freaked out. They don't want to get killed. And so if they are writing this story, that's not how they're going to portray it, right? They're going to be like, we're, we are so heroic. We believed all throughout that Jesus, he told us he's going to rise on the third day, and we just held strong to that, and look, look how we did it. He did it, right? But that's not what the story says at all. They're hiding. They're scattered. They're trying to figure out how to save their own skins. And then what we see is the willingness of these same terrified disciples willing to step out into the street, into the very temple grounds of the people that killed Jesus and declare, Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen just as he said. And these 11 disciples and many, many more were willing to die. All but one, history says, was martyred, was killed for holding on to this story that Jesus was alive. And when we see Paul's letter to the 1 Corinthians, he basically says, if you don't trust me, if you don't believe me, go talk to the 500 people or more that Jesus appeared to after his death. After he ascended again, talk to them, they can corroborate my story. 
And so I think that all of these things, and there's, there's other reasons that we can put our faith and our trust in this, and they get us, get us closer. But I remember reading a, a book in my undergrad, and this guy was like, we cannot prove the resurrection in a lab. We cannot you know, recreate it. Right? But what we can see is a resurrection-shaped dent in history that cannot be explained any other way. And so here we have this evidence. We have this opportunity to, to see this thing before us. But we still have to take a step of faith to go, I'm going to choose, Jesus, to believe that you are who you say you are. That you are the resurrected Savior. And I'm going to put my faith in you. Because I would say, this is true. The resurrection is the most solid thing that we can hold on to. And then the story wraps up here for today. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. (laughs) They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go into Galilee. There they will see me. So again, the women, the, the first apostles, are running back to tell the disciples to obey the, the angel, and they run into Jesus. I can't imagine what that would have been like. He's probably just kind of chuckling to himself. Hey, greetings. How's it going? And what do the women do? They fall down and clasp his feet. Right? They, they fall down and, and prostrate on the ground and worship him. The only real good, the only option for us when we encounter the resurrected Savior is to fall on our knees and to worship him. Don't be afraid, he says. Everything is going to be okay. Then he says this, go and tell my brothers. This is incredible. We've, I've probably read this 700 times. Maybe, probably a lot more. I don't know. Read it over and over again. And suddenly as I was preparing to, for this message, I go, he says, brothers. Not, you know, the angel said, go and tell my disciples. The, 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 uh, the women were on their way to talk to the disciples. But Jesus encounters them and says, go and tell my brothers. He's reinstating them. He's drawing them back into the family. Yes, they have abandoned him. Yes, they have forsaken him. Yes, they have denied him, Peter, three times in the, in the, in the courtyard. But Jesus comes back and says, Hey guys, I'm not surprised. I knew this was going to happen. I welcome you back. I forgive you. He forgives them, calling them, brothers. And we can feel like this, feeling again like we have failed, like we have been unfaithful. We have done this thing or that thing and we're so far from God. He's probably so upset with us. We may have abandoned Jesus, but he has never abandoned us. And he welcomes us back with arms open wide saying, welcome home, brother. Welcome home, sister. I forgive you. 
And if you are here today and you have never come into a saving relationship with with Jesus, if you have never submitted to Him as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you, there's no better day than today to choose to follow Jesus Christ, the, the risen Savior, to step into this eternal life, not just in time. Yes, we get to live with Jesus forever and ever. It's going to be awesome. But also, when Jesus talks about eternal life, he talks about, he's talking about quality of life. We get to step into the fullness, the abundance, the most humanness that we can be. And we get to experience that in all of its fullness when Jesus returns but we get to enter into the fullness of life right now. In the midst of this fallen world, we get to step into life and we can participate in His resurrection life. We can participate in the the joy and, and the peace and the love of the kingdom of the Father. And so today we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate our risen King. The foundation of our faith is solid. It is unwavering. And he welcomes us back as brothers and sisters. He forgives us. He sets us free. He brings us into the fullness of life. We can be fully alive. Father God, we love you. Lord, we celebrate today that the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. We thank you that because you are alive, Jesus, it means that we can follow you into eternal life. Lord, I pray that every person here would encounter you in a new, in a a fresh way today. Lord, I pray that your name would be lifted up and exalted in Cass County. Lord, that you would be glorified in the whole world. And Lord, we we stand with every church that calls on your name and celebrate today this amazing story, this foundation of our faith. And Lord, we look forward to your return when we can experience all of your fullness of life completely. Lord, just pray for your blessing upon each one here today. And we give you glory. Amen. Amen.